0: Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Lindsay Burleson from I'll Have What She's Having coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: Howdy, Eric. I am well. Happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Gordon Food Service has opened four Houston area grocery stores. They have at least two more on the way. This is like a kind of a medium sized grocery store, you know, 20, 20, 25,000 square feet. It has a whole bunch of stuff, all the usual sort of meat and produce that you would expect along with bulk items that are designed to sort of supply small restaurants, catering companies, that kind of thing. Uh, they also have a, a selection of gourmet, 15 gourmet popcorns and a steady stream of fresh corn and flour tortillas. Mary, I sell that to say to you, Gordon is is primarily known as a, as a restaurant supply company, a, you know, a wholesaler like Cisco or Benny Keith. And so I'm wondering if in your days of operating La Olivier and Avondale Food and Wine, whether you had any experience in dealing with Gordon food service.
1: No, I didn't have any experience dealing with them. I mean, we, we dealt with a lot of other uh, distributors. It most reminds me of restaurant Depot just in spirit. Now you can't just go shop at restaurant Depot. If you're a private individual, not associated with a restaurant or a bar, what, whatnot. But the idea of the wholesale uh, geared towards, Restaurants or larger quantities. It strikes me that it'll have a a lot of that influence, plus some regular grocery store influence. They're from Michigan, Um, so you know I don't know if this is their first foray into Texas or their first foray into Houston, but it you know H E B for the individual consumer here. Come on, we have the best grocery stores in the country between Central Market, H E B. I remember Jimales as a kid was like my favorite um little small grocer, but I don't think this is gonna put anybody out of business. I just think they probably realize the growth in Texas and they want a piece of the pie.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's all right, right? I, I don't think they're I don't think they're intending to put H E B out of business, although I think they would like to slice into their revenue a little bit. Uh and and I noticed that they're kind of opening in places that are maybe not like in between HEBs or or kind of away from HEBs, like you know, they took the old uh, Belden space in Meyerland. That's one of the the six locations. They're they're at Westheimer in Derry Ashford. You know where, where you'd have to go a little bit farther east to the the corresponding HEB. You know, so so I I think there's a possibility there. And and the other thing is, you know, they they have these bulk sized paper goods, plasticware, all this kind of stuff. You know, Very you, Costco-esque.
1: You you compared, know?
0: Well, it's exactly right, right? You you compared it to Restaurant Depot, which you have to have a, a business, you can't, the general public is not welcome to shop at Restaurant Depot. And and similarly, Costco, you have to have a membership, and that's a hundred bucks a year or whatever that costs. So Gordon is is free, like it's open to the public, and you do not have to have a membership to shop there. So I think just for those reasons. It's compelling. And, you know, if they can kind of slot into these underserved neighborhoods, I think they've got a real opportunity.
1: I think the bigger issue here and for them, if they're very smart, would be to serve communities that are underserved by groceries, food deserts in our city. I mean, it's crazy to me that we're the fourth largest city in America and you can literally be in neighborhoods and have to drive miles to get to a grocery store. So if they serve those neighborhoods and have plans on expanding there, that makes me very happy. Um, so from a real estate aspect, and I know this isn't what our show's about, but from a real estate aspect, if you're within walking distance to a grocery store, your home is worth 15% more than if you can't. So more the more, the
2: merrier.
0: <laughs> right. And just thinking about even, you know, from a kind of an up and coming neighborhood perspective, we talk a lot about edo and the east end and east wood You nailed it and there aren't as many grocery stores in that part of the city and and you know maybe this east river project that midways putting up maybe that's part of their plans but that could be several years away so i do think there's an opportunity specifically just fucking thinking about the inner loop in the east end for you know if gordon can find the right kind of spot that would that would be a, a real benefit to that whole area.
1: There's so much growth that will happen in the coming years and decades in the East End. The density is not there yet, but this is essential to growth for any neighborhood. And just colloquially,
0: I've been sort of following some of the Facebook posts. People, I think, are pretty impressed. They they like the popcorn. They like the tortillas. They like the meats. They like the produce. Some people say the prices are a little you know a little lower on some things, a little higher on others than. Than you know H E B Kroger whatever, but it sounds like it sounds like they have they they've kind of identified their niche and they're you know exploring the opportunity and and I'm always in favor of more choices so this this works well for me. Agreed. All right, let us move on to topic number two: Upper Kirby Dessert Staple Dessert Gallery announced it will open a second location in the Woodlands Waterway. Mary, Smart. let me. all right well you you anticipated my question why do you think that it's smart for sarah Brooke to bring a dessert gallery to the woodlands
1: uh high net worth individuals i mean per capita my dad lives in the woodlands for full disclosure and as much as i love my father i hate going to the woodlands um another side topic but this area is growing continuing to grow most of the people out there have an average you know pretty high income and it's very family oriented so what a family is like to do they like to go get ice cream they like to go get cookies they like cakes they do a lot of celebrations at home i mean the woodlands is you know built around nature right so a lot of people have great patios great backyards great entertaining spaces and I'm honestly trying to think of a bakery I like out there and I can't think of one. So other than, you know, you go into your grocery store or whatnot. Um, So I think this is incredibly smart. No, I I
0: think that's all correct. And the location in the waterway obviously is, is ideal for, you know, there's, there's the hotels there. There's the Cynthia Woods Mitchell (laughs) Pavilion that's very close by. There's all the, there's a whole bunch of offices so they, they can do a whole bunch of catering. You know, the mall is nearby. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for, for sort of retail, but but you know, to be right down the street from the movie theater, it's like, okay, you go see a movie and then afterwards, if you didn't if you're not just completely full of popcorn, maybe you get a slice of cake or a couple of cookies to go or something like that. I think I think it's a great location.
1: Uh welcome me, to my t- welcome to my teenage youth where I ran around the Woodlands Mall with my dad's brick size cell phone. <laughs> but, but let me just
0: ask you, I mean, you know. Dessert Gallery, well, it's in the same shopping center as Robata at the corner of, of Kirby and Richmond. I mean, mm-hmm. is, is this a place that you find yourself
1: occasionally? I mean I do. I mean, you know, I'm a kata regular, like st- stupidly so. So I'm I'm of a, I'm in that shopping center once or twice a week. Uh and I would say a couple times a year I'll stop into dessert gallery either to get something for a party that I'm going to or maybe a slice of cake after after dinner or something like that. I think they do a really good job for what it is that they do. Um, And I think they, they make a whole bunch of different stuff. Like it's a great place to go. If you're buying gifts for Valentine's day or something like that, Um, birthday cakes, you name it, they do a really good job.
0: Right. And we're coming up on both Hanukkah and Passover and, you know, dessert gallery always has, specialty items for for all the christian holidays and all the jewish holidays. So that that certainly comes to mind. I mean, I I've, I've been eating dessert gallery cakes and cookies uh I'm going to say since since the late 90s. High know, school th- baby. <laughs> well, I was I was I I think I was in college, but that's because I'm a little older than you. But I Yes, you I, are. <laughs> But but I do think, you know, that original diner cake, the, the yellow cake with the chocolate frosting is just like I feel nostalgic for it, even though like no one in my family ever made that cake. Right. Like I don't know, my grandmother never made made a cake like that, but still there's just something really visceral about kind of seeing that that bright yellow interior with that that super sweet chocolate frosting. It's just like, oh yeah, I need I need that in my life right now. And and I think
1: that all will translate.
0: You know, that that will that will do very well in the woodlands and, and just as it is done. Uh, very well at Kirby and Richard.
1: Yeah, a couple of my favorite c- cakes in the city to give as gifts are that and honestly, Empire Cafe. So yeah, people love people are nostalgic for things that remind them of their childhood. I went to Amy's ice cream last night. I mean, I've been going there Mexican vanilla with Reese's Cup since I was a kid. People want things that remind them of, of happy times in their lives. And like, Dessert gallery is about making memories. So they're they're gonna make some memories in the woodlands and and some money while they're at it.
0: Absolutely. All right. And then topic number three, Muse, a new restaurant from the owners of places like the Sporting Club and the Sugar Room, has opened in the former Ameline space on West Dallas. The the pictures are incredible. They've got this like dark interior with these cherry trees inside, and then EJ Miller, who we know from his time at Riel, and he worked for Brandy Key at Salter Seafood Kitchen before that. And then he was Michael Mina's man in Houston at, at International Smoke, is leading the kitchen. It's a super eclectic menu. Mary, I say all that to say to you. I mean, this is uh, you know, this is this is a really bustling area right now. This this River Oaksy, Montrose, Allen Parkway area is just absolutely blowing up right now. You know, you think about Clarkwood and iron, the steakhouse from the pit room guys is coming. Is coming real soon. Georgia James relocated nearby. Passarella, the underbelly Italian concept is coming there. Brasserie 19 has new energy now that it's under Charles Clark's sole ownership. There's more stuff coming to the you River can Oak see Shopping me there Center. every
2: Friday. Right,
0: right. <laughs> River Oak Shopping Center has a whole bunch of New stuff, Zanti, uh that opened last at the end of last year, uh has a lot of energy. There's Albi, a kind of high-energy Mediterranean concept that's coming soon. There's the Harlow district where Horizon's new restaurant is opening that's also on West Dallas. So there's just a, a ton of energy in this little pocket of the city. And and so so just give me your thoughts on Muse. Like how do you think that kind of fits in with everything else that's happening around it?
1: For full disclosure, the landlord of this building is one of my clients. So I am intimately familiar with um, this concept and how it got here and, and everything else. I personally thought it was going to be, given the background of the operators of this, I thought it was going to be, and I haven't been yet, so you and I need to go. But I thought the it felt like it was going to be more nightclub vibey. And, and judging by the pictures and all the first rounds of press that I've seen it, it does feel like it's going to be a serious restaurant, which makes me happy because I think there's, uh, you know, a lot more longevity in a concept like that. I think the chef's talented. The building is beautiful. I don't know how many people remember Emmeline, but that was the restaurant that was in here before that was owned and operated by the landlord uh, of this building. And I think it's a good location. You're River Oaks adjacent. You're very central. I mean, Clarkwood is crushing it right now b19 has new life all these new restaurants that are popping up up and down west gray some of them in revoke shopping center some of them slightly outside of that Um, the pictures look stunning i've seen a lot of our friends over the weekend post there i i'm intrigued and interested and and thinking that they are poised to do very well there
0: right no I, i i think all of that is well said so I asked about kind of the, cause you know, the, the sporting club has that whole, you know, nightlife thing where they, they do the bottle service and, and Toto Santos is a tequila bar. And so that's kind of what they're, they're known for this, this group. And so I said, you know, how, like how nightclubby is it? And they're like, well, they'll have a DJ to kind of set the mood, <laughs> but they will not have bottle service. So that kind of distinguishes it from seven and CL and Bisou, which are you know, a little more high energy. This will I think this is more I think you're right. I think I expect this will be more of a traditional restaurant, uh, with pretty serious looking, like pretty tasty looking food. And and so yes, we we do need to try it. And and I've heard from my DMs blew up. You know, we posted this article. It did it did very well. And and my DMs flooded with I wanna go, I wanna go. So so you know ej i I think i think ej ej has been a guest on this podcast i think he still listens so yeah i'm coming soon buddy don't worry you'll see me soon and and i look forward to trying it and uh on the on the spectrum of of how intrigued i'm i'm personally more interested in this than i am in seven although i obviously will be will be going to both and, and sharing thoughts on both in upcoming episodes of this podcast
1: i feel like obviously it's not cl but i feel like it's kind of in the same genre less performance not bottle service i get it but cl has a very you know chef driven food oriented food program just looking at the caliber of their staff so this whole entire genre of dining houston didn't really have um prior to this past couple of years i mean not like this so i'm I want to see if all of these concepts can pull it off. Uh, I don't come from this world, like I don't come from the club world or the you know sports bar world. So I'm always always like to learn from others and, and see what they're doing and how they do it. So I'm excited excited to try this one.
0: Yeah, you can kind of kind of get a feel for like a like a dressed up progressive, like fancy date night that would be you know something like wine on the patio at either B19 or, or wine at zanti you know, and small bites, entrees and maybe dessert at Muse and then after dinner drinks at Clarkwood. Like that would be a very fun. I want to
1: go on that date.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be like a really like dressed up kind of special occasion night out for for CNBC types not that we walk anywhere in Houston but but you could you could even walk it if you were really ambitious
1: yes you could definitely safer than driving it
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right Mary I'm gonna say that does it for the news of the week we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week stick around Mary, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about ES Twenty One. This is the new French restaurant from two of Houston's favorite French men, Chef Philippe Schmidt and
1: the front French of house. Cowboy.
0: Yes, the French Cowboy <laughs> and front of house specialist Sebastian Laval, who we know from a whole bunch of restaurants around town, including La Olivier. Uh, he opened great. He opened Mad. He worked at Tab, He worked at La Coloniale, He consulted on Musafer and CL. Like Sebastian's got an extensive resume. He's obviously someone you've worked with and know well. So I'm just going to throw it to you. What did you, you know, you kind of when you walked into PS21, what were your initial impressions of of the space?
1: Uh, well, it's walking distance to my house, so I love that. <laughs> uh, Sebastian and I worked together at La Olivier he was my absolute favorite manager. So I am a little biased, um, but he's, you know, a younger Frenchman. He's about my age, plus or minus. He's got a lot of experience inside the loop, um, especially at, you know, mid to higher end restaurants. His wine knowledge is very good. He's got a good customer base uh, that go, you know, of course wants to go see him wherever he goes so i think philippe was very smart to partner with somebody younger uh it's really weird being in there because the size of the space it's smaller than Olivier and avadil was but it's on the smaller side so it there's a lot of things that kind of trigger memories for me of of my former spaces um and the menu is unapologetically french i mean they're not you know, it's it's got some twist on it and everything else, but they are like, don't kid yourself. You want a French meal? This is what they're doing. They are not trying to reinvent the wheel here. They're doing updates on classics, but they're still classics. Um, so it feels like a small, intimate restaurant, and you know, a, a juxtaposed to a totally different restaurant, Zanti, in terms of scale. I like smaller restaurants. They feel more intimate. The experience feels more intimate. It allows you to get to know your staff, the space. Um, I'm excited to see how this one grows as my, as my first impression before we dive into dishes, but really pretty interior parking in this location is always difficult. I mean, you are valeting, um, or you can kind of street park on gallery row or on Colquitt a block away, but, uh, that's my only negative on my on my first impressions, which just can't be avoided. It's a busy corridor.
0: Yeah, it's it's the old Queen Vic space, and it's it's dark, it's intimate. It you're right, it's not it's not very big, and I and I like that about it. It's got that nice patio, that street side patio. It was a nice night out. The doors open. I think that was all to the good. And not that that's the neighborhood that I live in necessarily, but I was not surprised to see. People I know there, you know, a, a Frenchman who's the fiance of a, of a good friend was at was at one table. I saw a publicist sitting on the patio. I saw a chef out with a group of her girlfriends doing what looked like a birthday dinner or some other sort of celebration. And then as we were walking out, there's Ziggy Gruber sitting at the bar having having a bite to eat after a, a catering event. So I like that that people that kind of move in. Similar social circles who are excited about food are checking it out. I, I mean, I like the way it looks. You you talked about the food. It's it is very classic French, right? I mean, we're we're talking about deboned chicken wings that are cooked confit, right? Steak tartare with seared foie gras, lobster bisque. You know, a foie gras terrine, steak frites, boeuf
1: Yeah,
0: really, like really classic like, stuff, but presented in a really executed at a high level and and very tasty so your business partners with a french chef what did you think of the food
1: i thought the food was very good first first run through i mean i thought the the foie gras was great i thought the steak frite was wonderful albeit i don't think you need to use a ribeye cut for steak frite and i think it was 46 or 48 bucks like i think you can give the people what they want you can give them the traditional cut of meat someone would expect with steak frites. But again, you're in Upper Kirby, Greenway Plaza, River Oaks adjacent. Like, I understand that you'd want to go in the higher end uh, tip. I thought the apple tartare 10 was amazing. Um, that was my favorite dessert. We had a souffle as well, which I thought was good, but forever ingrained emblazoned in my brain is Tony's is souffle. So that's just my own personal bias. Uh, I thought the cocktail program was good. I ordered um, a uh, chartreuse-based cocktail that I thought that they nailed. I will say that I thought the gin and tonic that I had, their specialty one was okay. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. I think kind of my gold standard that I hold all G&Ts up to in this town is BCN. Nobody does it better. I mean, nobody. Uh, So, you know, I, I, I think... I think they'll get their feet and figure out what works for them and what doesn't. But I liked that they had a higher end wine list, kind of a reserve wine list with 20 to 30 wines on there that you're not going to see at a lot of restaurants. Um, You know, there are people in this town that will want to drink some of these uh, older vintages of French wines. Their wine list was exclusively French, which like shout out, shout out to stick into exactly what you're doing.
0: Right no, I think I think the the all French wine list is is really typical of what they're doing and and exactly what you would expect at a restaurant like this. you know, there's no reason to to mess around with California wines or Italian wines or whatever like it's French food pair it with French wine. keep it simple. You mentioned the cocktails. I think they're doing something really interesting, which is that they're most of them, right If you order off the menu are named after different cities where French have an influence, right so there's a there's one for Beirut. There's one for Montreal. There's one for Casablanca. Obviously Paris, Saigon, and they incorporate different flavor components that are typical of those different regions of the world. So you know the the Montreal has maple syrup. Comes with a little a little donut because those are things you associate with Montreal. And it's developed by uh, Suvik Dasgupta, who worked at Musafir for a long time and is is now working on a couple other projects and and has worked with. Uh, Sebastian, obviously, in that context. So, I mean, they're they're beautiful to look at, and they were very delicious, and and they had some kind of Instagramy type elements. You know, one comes in a glass that has a uh, you know a LED in it. You know, so I think there's a lot there's a lot to say about the drinks, and and I I was very impressed by them.
1: Yeah, I like that they brought this mixologist from Missoula. I think it steps it up a notch. I think that they put a lot of thought into their cocktail program. Uh, I think sometimes it's an afterthought for a lot of restaurants, you know, they're focused on the food or the wine list or the decor or whatever. And then they just put hastily put together some cocktails. So I do think they put a lot of thought uh, into their program, which makes me happy.
0: I agree with all that. And and I do think that there's, you know, you, you sort of talked about that neighborhood aspect to it. I, you mentioned Xanti is like a you know, a a kind of buzzy big restaurant. Right. Yeah. But but I think I think the more maybe the more relevant comparison is something like Amore, which is right down the street, you know. Toulouse
1: only just because it's French. Well, or Brasserie 19, right? Because
0: that's kind of in yeah. the neighborhood, you know, or a boozy, something like that, where obviously smaller, obviously more sedate, a very different atmosphere. Uh, I,
1: but go ahead. I think the only thing that might hurt them here versus, I, I think it is comparable to Amore, even though Amore is Italian, but in terms of scale, B19 has that patio and it's a CNBC scene power lunch spot, power, you know, brunch spot. So they have that. And Toulouse also has that patio. So I think this is going to be more for people in the neighborhood, surrounding neighborhoods and more of a date spot and more intimate right people are going to be driven to come here because of the quality of the programming not because it's crazy cnbc and the way this restaurant is laid out you can't see the whole restaurant from any one angle so it's intimate on purpose
0: no and and i think that's to its credit right i think i find yeah. that very appealing i like it right when you want right when you want that cnbc and energy Zanti b19 to lose the patio whatever PS twenty one is not going to uh, affect their their business in the slightest. No. When you want like a really well executed French meal, cooked by a French chef, paired with French wine, overseen by a a French sommelier, this is the place. And and I I can't really think of anything in Houston that's quite like it right now. You know, maybe Cafe Rabelais or something like that. But this is a little more a little more contemporary. Just to be very explicit. I thought we had a very, very delicious dinner at p s twenty one and and knowing Philippe's history from from Bistro Moderne and Philippe, I'm excited to have him back on the restaurant scene,
1: yeah, it's been a minute. I mean, it's it's been a while. I think Sebastian gives great tableside service. I mean people that want to learn about wine and want somebody to really take care of them, especially if they're pouring a more expensive bottle. I do think there's a value in having sommeliers in this city. And I think, you know, COVID took a lot of that away in a lot of aspects for people that are in the SOM community. And, you know, people, people want experiences, they want service, they want somebody to take care of them. They want to feel like they're transported somewhere else. And, I don't know Philippe as well as I know Sebastian, but Sebastian does an excellent job of taking care of his customers. So that I love.
0: All right. So just to, just to put a pin in this, you'll go back to PS 21.
1: I will. I'll even take my mom.
0: (laughs) The ultimate, the ultimate compliment. All right. And then just briefly, I want to talk to you about Theodore Rex, which, you know, has been in the, been in the kind of the social media news just a little bit. It was the, Subject of a review in the infatuation that was not very complimentary, and I, we're not we're not going to engage in media criticism today. We're not gonna we're not going to discuss the the merit of the review. The, the Eric, Eric,
1: we we've all we've all been there, right? I remember your days when you used to go hard in the pain, and this is this baby girl's first foray out the gate. So right, we don't so need to talk about it. <laughs> that, that that's right. But
0: people are entitled to their opinions. They're entitled to. Express those opinions. I I have no, you know, that's fine. But it <laughs> but it was but but I did have, but it did sort of prompt me to think. Oh, I haven't been to. I don't think I, I went to Theodore Rex at all in twenty twenty two, and it had, it had been about time for a revisit. So we went to we went to Theodore Rex, and and I know this is a restaurant that you eat at semi regularly. You and you and uh, the sommelier are, are good friends. So you know I don't. So let me just ask you this, right? Because, you know, it's been about five years, maybe, maybe even six years, since Oxheart closed and evolved into Theodore Rex, right? That's 2017. So what do you where do you kind of place that restaurant in the hierarchy or or in the in the universe of of Houston? Like how do you consider it? based on our, based on your meals there and, and our experience, our recent experience then? Uh,
1: well, okay, here's what I would say. I have been dining in Justin E. restaurants since the beginning, uh, since Oxheart, and where it stands today is my absolute favorite version of it. Um, I I think Justin is immensely talented and one of my favorite chefs in the city, but What's more important to me today is the talent of the women that are leading this restaurant, whether it be the sommelier, whether it be who who is a dear friend of mine, Sarah. But Caitlin Steets is is cooking incredible food. I think it's a coherent uh, food program. And, you know, one of its criticisms is that it just doesn't get, you know, they don't change over the food enough but the m- menu that we most recently had 50 percent or more of those dishes were new over the last time I visited and I visit that restaurant often um, the the highlight for me is what Sarah's doing with the wine with the food I think really cohesive experience I love wine unapologetically but I love wine with food most importantly and she nails the pairings and That for me is the kind of experience that I want. I want to be able to have a delicious dish with a wine that complements that food and makes it sing and brings out the best of it. And there's very few restaurants that I go to. I'll go to a restaurant where I have great food or great wine, but very rarely do I have both. And this restaurant checks a lot of boxes for me in that regard.
0: Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm with you. I, I think, the restaurant from from my perspective, has settled into kind of a comfortable middle age, right It is not it's not that it's not culinarily ambitious because the you know it executes its dishes at a at a very high and consistent level but but I do think the the sense that the menu doesn't change very much is there are staples, right The tomato toast is you're you're always going to get the tomato toast the The mung bean crepe was on there when I was there in twenty one it's it's obviously still there. The beef dumplings have become uh, a staple. The the roast chicken and in French curry that we had is very much a staple. The the beef with the the mushrooms that's a you know maybe the maybe the cut changes here and there but but that's some version of that dish is always going to be on the menu. But but at the same time, like, do I care? Right? Like, it, as long as it's delicious, do I do I? If care, your
1: food's right? fire, I'm here for it, and their food is fire i mean tomato toast is still in the menu but it's a different variation i don't always order beef at restaurants because i can have the best steak in the city at my house a lot of the times i mean sorry it's just facts but their roasted cap of beef the chestnut mushrooms the leek ash like that's a dish that isn't large in quantity but is large in flavor i mean it's it's like beef butter i don't even know how to describe it other than that it melts in your mouth it's full of flavor um, right. And we there. had those ricotta,
0: that ricotta pasta that was new on the menu that I really enjoyed.
1: Um, that was incredible. That ricotta is so delicate.
0: Right. And you know, you talk about the wine list. We kind of pushed Sarah a little bit, right? We were there for a good time.
1: And, and a long time.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. And, and, and she said, well, you know, do you want a traditional pairing or do you want like an out of the box pairing? And we said, you yeah. know, why don't you, why don't you give us both? which is not something that most people would do i think but but the 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 wine list has that kind of depth where she can she can hit you with you know some pretty classic producers and and varietals and that and that's all good or you can get real nerdy with the the natural wine stuff which is where her passion is i think that's exciting and i will say you know we went on a monday night and the restaurant was full right it it, it was basically full when we sat down at at 6 or 6:30 or whatever time the the reservation was, and it stayed that way until we left, which was uh, well in the evening. Because, like you said, we we kind of took our time there, and and so I think it's I think the restaurant is vital. They had a they had a private party going on. We had a, a very delicious meal. We had wonderful service. You know, they've got a, a new GM, Stacy, who's worked all over the place. Pax Americana, squabble. You know, it was great to see her kind of running the dining room after uh, their longtime general manager. Left Houston. So I approached this meal with, with a little bit of trepidation about because I had I had T Rex as Houston's fourth best uh, restaurant in, in 2019 and, and when I did the top one hundred, I don't I don't know. I, I think it's still probably a top ten Houston restaurant for me based on our meal and and you know it James Beard semifinalists for a standing hospitality and and with the caveat that obviously we we know them and we got a heightened version of of what they do for everybody. I I I would say it's it's worthy of that recognition too.
1: I you know this restaurant I only go to places time and time again where you can feel that the staff is enjoying what they do and that they have a good time. They're having fun doing what they're doing. Like they're playful, they're energetic, They want to give you a good experience. It feels good to walk into that building. I will go check a box for a new restaurant or a new bar just to see what's up. But if it doesn't feel good, you're not going to get my time or my money or me bringing people there time and time again. So I think I look around the room at this restaurant, not just the night that we were there. I often sit at the the countertop uh, overlooking the kitchen, which seats like six or eight people. But I... I see them take care with every guest that enters that building, and that's that that has become increasingly rare. So that's why it draws me back and back again. There are a lot of restaurants that have very good food in this town. There are some restaurants that have very good wine. Very rarely do you get to combine all of those components together. This restaurant is one of the rare ones that checks that box. All right, I think uh, I think that's a good
0: place to leave it. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes, sir.
0: All right. Mary Clarkson, thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: And I'll be right back with Lindsay Burleson from I'll Have What She's Having. I am joined this week by the owner of Two Headed Dog, a bar in Midtown, but this week she is here on behalf of All Have What She's Having, a nonprofit devoted to women's health and the restaurant industry. Lindsay Burleson, welcome back to the show. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about all the programs and kind of what I'll Have What She's Having pivoting to.
0: Yeah, thanks for doing this. I mean, you know, I had Lori Choi, one of the founders of All Have What She's Having, on a few years ago. Uh, I think with Aaron Smith even from. You just barbecue. So, you know, I think, you know, some of the audience probably has some background. Some people have probably been to some of your events, but, but why don't we just kind of start at the beginning? Why don't you just sort of explain kind of what all have, what she's having is, and, and kind of what y'all do?
2: Yeah. So, all of what she's having formed in 2007, uh, Dr. Lori Cho is she was part of the food and beverage industry in front of the house for years and then as a doctor started seeing all the kind of policies and laws that were putting in place against women at the time and just preventative health care as a whole and got with a lot of women in the industry and they came together and and started this kind of concept where they wanted free wellness checkups for women they wanted women to be able to get access to mammograms if they didn't have insurance and worked in the food and beverage industry and that's now been going on uh, since then. And uh, I'm sorry, 2000. I want to say it's 2017. Sorry, not 2007. Um, Yeah. And so I kind of jumped on with the program about two years ago when we really started doing the fight for reproductive rights in Texas, Texas being a battleground state for that. And we really started focusing on preventative health care and what that looks like for somebody that's uninsured in the food and beverage industry, especially when we talk about the uninsured in Harris County and just services people aren't keeping up with because one, they can't afford them. Two, they have, they don't have access to understanding the healthcare system because they've never had proper healthcare. And so that's really what we're working on is education and free services for the uninsured in the food and beverage industry. Not just women, men and women.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, all right. Let's, uh, you've given me a lot to work with, but let's, I I mean, kind of discuss the scope of the problem with me because you know, you, yeah. I mean, you know, people who don't know your background, I mean, you worked at Poison Girl, you worked at Grand Prize for a long time. Now you're a small business owner. Mm-hmm. In your experience, what percentage of hospitality workers are, I guess it's more pronounced, right? If you work for a big restaurant group, if you work for Landry's or Pappas or something like that, you probably do have health insurance. I know, I know some of the smaller groups offer that to their employees, but like, how prevalent is this?
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's huge, right? Because I want to say the statistic. Lori's really good at knowing the statistics because she's on the board of Women's Health uh, for the city. But it's upwards of. I want to say it's like sixty to eighty percent, depending on which industry you're in, is uninsured. And then we're talking about. Okay, so I do get insurance. People don't know how to use that insurance. They're paying for it, but it ends up being cheaper for them not to pay the copay and just pay cash at a clinic. What happens is with the food and beverage industry, we're so used to going to the ER or the quick emergency clinic to get services because we're putting off preventative healthcare because we haven't had access to it. So just like general STD screening, wellness exams, to get your blood tested to see if you're diabetic, things of that nature. We're not really dealing with those problems until we have them. I was, you know, I've been in the industry for over 20 years, uh, whether it being front of the house, mostly bartending, right? I started when I was 18 bartending in Texas. And, but I did, I was an elementary school teacher for six years and I had really great health insurance. And during those six years, I can tell you navigating the healthcare system with good health insurance was very difficult. And when I lost that health insurance, I went without of a lot of stuff because I didn't have money because anybody who's you know, working for $30,000 to $60,000 a year with no health benefits, it's very hard to prioritize. Yeah, I should get a mammogram, but that mammogram is going to cost you about $500. You're going to have to go see a physician to then get a reference to get the mammogram, get the mammogram and need to follow up with your doctor again, in case you need a biopsy. So that's putting you out about eight to $900. So am I going to do that? Or I'm going to pay rent. And that's the issue we're finding in the food and beverage world is that people just aren't putting themselves first with this preventative care. So it's just becoming emergent care issues.
0: Right. So given the scope of the problem, I guess, what, what are some of the initiatives that because, I mean, you mentioned men's health care, but when I first encountered all have what she's having and most of my, most of my encounters with all have what she's having have been focused on, on women's health care. So maybe, maybe start with kind of what y'all are doing for
2: for yeah, women in the so, food and
0: beverage industry, and then we'll, we'll expand from there.
2: Yeah, so when we started with women's uh, you know, issues, we did wellness exams, right? So you go and get your STD screening, you get your pap smears, and then mammograms as well. And then we moved on where we were like, okay, we're having a big issue just with after SB8 passing, women really having panic attacks and really feeling like they were being left out of the conversation. And we realized there's a lot of mental health issues coming out of COVID as well. So we partnered with Ethos. So what we do is, We've realized the magic number for all kind of medical medicine, therapy, things of that nature is about 12 weeks. So we cover 12 weeks of free therapy with someone at the Ethos Center. And what they'll do is kind of work you through that like crisis, or if you just wanted to try preventative talk therapy in some sense to see if it's a right fit for you. And then what we do from there is that you have larger issues, you'll get referred to legacy, and then we cover those, or they'll do a pay scale, but it's first in Introducing you to saying, Hey, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to try this on and see if it fits, and then make that a fiscal priority for yourself. But we want to take down that barrier that people are afraid that it's going to cost me $300 a month to talk to a therapist. We're like, No, we've got you covered for 12 weeks. We want you to get in there. We want you to talk to somebody. And then we started. You know, so that was the first thing we're doing the wellness exams. We're doing the mammograms. We're doing the pap smears. Then mental health started becoming important to us. And then we were getting a lot of people going, Hey, Are you guys just a women's organization? And we realized that the problem's bigger than just women's issues. It's an industry issue as a whole. And seeing so many people reaching out and needing help, we had, and this was a personal passion of mine because, you know, in the last two years, we've lost a lot of food and beverage professionals to suicide and drug overdoses. And a lot of that we feel like could have been prevented if this idea of talk therapy just was given a chance. If we take the taboo away from this preventative, strategy and really start talking about these things and talking these things is important healthcare, just as much as, you know, you get a toothache, you brush your teeth every day, right? So you don't get a toothache and have to go to the emergency clinic, talk to the therapist once every two weeks. So you end up not having a mental breakdown and leading into burnout. So that's another program that we started. And then we were doing IUDs after SB8 passed. We realized that IUDs were really important at dealing with reproductive rights. Like it's not just about abortion as healthcare; it's also about STD screenings. Do people know that they can have different types of contraception? So then we started putting in free IUDs. And then after the free IUDs, um, I was <laughs> Lori likes to say I kind of bullied us into doing vasectomies. <laughs> Cause I was like, why is it women having these responsibilities? Why isn't also men? And so uh, I said we need to start doing vasectomies. And within a week, Lori found some doctors that were do the procedure for free. And so now we offer free vasectomies because we feel like everybody should be in this fight for reproductive health care.
0: You brought up the, the mental health aspect, but I, I don't want to let that go quite so quickly. I mean, you mentioned, you know, there have been Lord knows. I mean, just thinking about over the last couple of years through the pandemic and everything, right? You're told you're an essential worker, right? Everybody else is allowed to stay home. You got to get out there and mask up and and do your part for for the country. I mean, I I'm not surprised that we've seen more drinking, more drug use, more suicides. No. I mean, I don't I don't find that surprising. And and you know, I've seen I've seen so many of my industry friends like quit drinking entirely, right? Like getting sober because they they went too far. And so I, I think we need to be having these conversations and, and between I'll have what she's having and Southern Smoke. I know they've got a mental health program too.
2: They have a great one.
0: You know, there's this recognition that, that we need this stuff. Um,
2: and it's not lip service, right? Because I feel like for a little bit there, our industry was really just giving lip service to mental health care and not really focusing on it and saying, what are the problems? What should you be doing? We talk about like, yeah, you should go to therapy, but we need to talk about the excessive Drug use and the excessive drinking that happens. And so we work hand in hand with the Houston Recovery Center uh, during Well Week. So, Well Week is a program that we do that we do stay well all year long, but then we do Well Week, which focuses two weeks in October, where we really ask bars and restaurants, we put up QR codes that give access to uh, the therapist link where we're like, hey, you can give a dollar from every drink, you know, you could do all that, which will help pay for these therapy sessions. But what we really want Want is people to have access. We want people at Waterburger to be using this link. We want the line cook. We want the dishwasher. We want the bartender. We want anybody to be able to have access to this mental health care. We don't want it to just be lip service because it is burnout is such a significant thing. We also started teaching workshops uh, where we're teaching bar uh, and restaurant owners and managers the difference in how to identify anxiety versus depression versus burnout with your staff and how to handle that when you're doing write-up processing or when you're engaging with those professionals because it's become such a rampant issue.
0: Yeah, I I guess you kind of have to figure out like is this person lazy or is this person having yeah is, is this person like having a a problem that needs to be addressed on on some, you know, emotional level?
2: And then we talk about historically the issue we have in the industry where we love to just throw people away. We can always I can always replace you. Right. Uh, I've heard that adage all the time. Like they're lazy, just replace them. Who cares? Well, the workforce isn't there anymore. So it's also making the industry absolutely have to realize that you can't just say that adage we're family and then be in an abusive family relationship dynamic. You have to put your money where your mouth is. You have to put your care where you say you're actually going to do it, or we're going to lose an entire workforce to other industries because they're just not putting up with it anymore. And in reality, they shouldn't have put up with it in the first place, but we had this, Industry people are this special group of pirates, I like to say. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, I think think that's fair. I I think, you know, Richard Knight is definitely a pirate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to Richard.
2: Yeah, for sure. And so we'll deal with a lot, right? We'll deal with a lot of pressure. We love that. We thrive off that. But in reality, a lot of us are at a breaking point uh, just as a society. And so then in an industry, we need to systematically change some things. And for us, it's focusing on the preventative health care and anything that goes under the scope of preventative health care. And there's some things we can't cover right now. You know we are doing a lot because we're a volunteer-only organization, and so there's always people coming in and out, and leadership changes. But we're really focusing now is the the mental health care, vasectomies, and IUDs are kind of on the forefront, and education, and letting people not be afraid of interacting with the healthcare system, because there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about how the healthcare system works. And doctors are dealing with the same amount of pressure and anxiety that, um, the food and beverage industry is we're losing doctors and nurses left and right, uh, to the point that we're having, it's, it's like almost a national emergency of loss of medical professionals.
0: All right. So I guess on a, on a practical level, you know, how does somebody get started with, you know, I want an IUD or I, I want to start talking to a therapist or, you know, how does, how does that work?
2: Our website. So if you go to our website, I'll have what she's having.org or, you know, IHSWH.org, you're going to see right there, click for preventative health care. And right now we have our signup systems pretty, it's pretty straightforward. You click what you're interested in, you fill out the pertinent information, and then you write a note in there at the bottom where it's, hey, I want this healthcare. Hey, this person referred me. Like if somebody is listening to here and they go fill that out, that note section said, I heard that I could get a mammogram via you know the the What's Eric Eating podcast. I'm really interested in that. Click that and then you'll get an automated message. And then you'll get, uh, we have case managers now. So it used to just us be kind of clicking and figure it out, but we have case managers now that'll close the loop. And what we say is that it takes, unless you're having a mental kind of like emergency and need to see someone takes 48 to 72 hours for us to get back to you about therapy. It could take up to five business days for us to get back to you about the vasectomy, the mammogram, uh, you know the wellness checkup just because we have to then put you in contact with that organization you're going to fill out the pertinent information we're going to cover the cost for you but when we're talking about the grand scheme of healthcare if you try to just go sign up for legacy right now you're not going to see a primary care physician for probably 3 weeks to a month and that's common practice right right now. let
0: me let me let me say this as someone with pretty good health insurance through culture map i needed an mri recently it was it was 3 or 4 weeks to schedule the mri right so yes to tell me that it's going to be a a week or even 2 weeks to get you know a mammogram or some other procedure that that actually seems pretty reasonable to me
2: yeah and we were trying to but what we're seeing is it's an inexperience with the healthcare system that doesn't make them, you know, that's not ignorance. It's an inexperience. So we have people that are like, wait, it's going to take a month for me to get this. And we're like, yes, because that's how long it takes now because we're also dealing with a medical crisis. Those services just aren't as easily accessible as they used to be. So we're trying to take down that barrier. We're trying to take down the time barrier. We're trying to take down the fiscal barrier and cover what we can. So like with the mammogram, what we do is we used to do it once a year, but we're doing it twice a year now, starting this year, uh, is that we have the bus, you know, shout out to talk as a go, go shout out to them. They let us park the bus there and we can book 27 women to get mammograms that day and so, and that's free of charge. We have an in-house doctor that says, Hey, we're doing the reference. If something comes up, they will be the person you go to if there's an issue. So we do all that in-house. So we're taking what would have been three visits down to one visit in the bus and email. And then we cover that next follow-up because we want to take down those barriers. Because what's great is that we partner with really amazing organizations. So the Rose, which we love working with, The ROSE can then help you find, if they do find something in your mammogram, the ROSE can then help you find financial aid. That's what they're there for, is to help you find financial aid afterwards, doing the mammograms, because no woman should die of breast cancer in Houston, Texas, uh, because of the inability to pay for it. And so there are plenty of services out there. So that's why we really work with these organizations, like the mental health care providers, the people that I know personally have gone through that have gone to therapy are still seeing those therapists on a sliding scale or a pro bono uh, after they've met someone because they're seeing that there's a need for the industry to be able to have access to these um, services.
0: Right. And, and if they find something, it might not be cancer. Like, some, you know, we have a friend yeah. who posted on her social media that they found something and then it was benign. And I mean, yeah. that's just like incredible peace of mind, you know, like it's checked out. I'm good.
2: Yeah. And it, it, and we don't, it's cause now the age is lowered too, right? Where they say you should be 35. And I didn't know, right. If you have someone in your immediate family who's had breast cancer, you should be checking up 10 years before they were diagnosed So say they got it at 40. You need to get the checkup at 30. So what we do, you know, you have to be over 35 to make the bus, but if you can't make the bus and you wanted to go to the Rose and get a mammogram next week, we, if we can get you into that appointment, we will get you in. and set you up. You don't have to just do the bus days. Like April 1st, we're having our next IUD and vasectomy day. And I've now reached out, I probably reached out to 15 business owners in the last couple of days and said, hey, if you have anybody on your staff that wants a vasectomy, we have three spaces open. So we filled three of them because we can do up to six on one of these days. And then we're still booking for May. So we have this care where it's like, Right now, like you say you make $30 to maybe $60 a year, right? That's what I make. They're not going to spend $2,000 on a vasectomy. They're not going to spend eight $800. And it's also taking you upwards of two months sometimes to get in for one of these appointments. If it's not emergent, we're getting people in monthly for these procedures. Right, so, so once again, anybody so works at a Whataburger or an IHOP, we want to get you a vasectomy if you're done having babies. Do your part.
0: <laughs> all right. So, all right. So. So so okay, so how often do those IUD vasectomy events happen? And and then again, like does does that do people do people reserve that through the website or have yeah, does that work?
2: they're gonna reserve through the website, but also if they follow us on our social media, we'll say, hey, because we're working with these doctors. So what's really amazing is we have a network of doctors that are providing their services for free. We also have a network of doctors that so an IUD costs about anywhere from $250 to $400 just for the, the little guy that goes inside you, right? So just for uh, that right there. And so the doctors donate their services. We pay for the IUDs. So you can get an IUD anytime from us, but we do days because what we, we have multiple doctors and we can book a ton of people out. Because what we've realized if we say, hey, you can sign up and get this all the time, we hit up our doctors, our doctors call the people that signed up. They don't answer. I don't know this number. I didn't respond in time. So what we found is we really push for these days. People are more likely to follow up with their care because bartenders and restaurant people are really great about no showing or showing up late. Right. <laughs> no. up well, and, and, and I found even in my,
0: I found even in my own life, right? If you say, Hey, I haven't seen your two headed dog in a while. Come by any time. I'll be like, sure. And then you'll never see me. If you say, yeah. "Hey, meet me for a drink Tuesday at seven o'clock," I'm running this great special. I want you to try it. Like, no, oh, you're time, there. You'll get me there. So, you know, I think, My I think making, is important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Specific times, making an event out of it, and yeah. then there's there's a little bit of peer pressure. Like, okay, yeah. I'll see you there. You know, where you at? I
2: missed you. Come on, come on right. down. And that's an, another thing with this is that. We have one in April. And so April 1st is the next one. So we do have, I want to say we have probably like five or six more IUD spots and if they need, cause we do have to, they need to do some pre-work, right? You have to talk to the doctor before, see if you need to come in, see if you've had complications, see if you need to do the blood work, but Once they do that, we kind of get you When We try to sign everybody up about a week before. So we'll probably do the cutoff tomorrow or the next day for the April 1st. So I don't know when this is going to air, but in May, we'll still be looking up. So people can, when they do sign up, can put in the notes, I want to sign up for the next day. Let me know when that is. And those are the first people we go to reach to book those appointments because it is dependent on the doctors having time to do this. And we're really lucky that we have the doctors in April and we also have them in May.
0: Right, so just for the audience, you and I are talking on a Monday. This podcast comes out on a Thursday, so by the time people are listening, to this the April first date. It's too late, but the yeah, but they can they can get in they can get on the list for May.
2: Yes, and so don't they should they can say like, hey, I heard about the April first date. I want to get in on May, and we can absolutely do that. And we have people that are like, oh, I can't make the weekends. I can't do that. Then we go, guess what? We'll put you down for a weekday, and we'll send you into one of our doctors because we do because what we do with all this money that we raise. Uh, we then put them in funds in these organizations. And what we want to do is we want to deplete these funds. We want people using these services, use them up, right? We want to just pay for so many IUDs and so many vasectomies that we have to go and throw giant events to raise more funds because this year, what we're really doing is, there's smaller events that are raising funds for us, which is so amazing. We're really like Johnny's Goldbrick donated almost uh, eleven thousand dollars from an event of, uh, around December to the organization, and so that's been really amazing. Um, and that's for like IUDs because of Johnny's Goldbrick. We we got you covered. Let's go uh which is so amazing and then we have smaller like trash panda did some events in collaboration with some brands it was really amazing and then on may 7th we have a giant event called rock and roll picnic that Elaine lane dillard's helping put together so it'll be all star chefs it'll be all star bartenders bands musicians people can come out and all those funds go directly to services and that's something i really love about being a part of this organization is that we make sure that people that work for us get paid right? So if a chef's doing a dinner, we're not asking them to give us all their time and stuff for free. We want to pay for that product. They're just donating their time. And then everything we make off that goes directly to a service. So we don't really have a flashy website. We don't have a flashy board that gets paid. It's all a working organization. And I'm really, really proud of that.
0: All right. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit more about programming. Cause like you said, you, you do these, you know, I went to an event at, At the Continental Club last year that you guys put on, Mm -hmm. I bought a Valentine's Day delivery bag. How was that, by the way? It was very delicious. There were lots of fun snacks and sips from all my favorite, you know, female-owned or managed uh, bars and restaurants. I really enjoyed that. And all that
2: money went to pay for the mammograms. So everything from our Valentine's bags, all the money we made off those— went straight to mammograms and the bus, the bus event was two days later. So it was really great to see that direct that fundraising, go to pay for something like that.
0: Well, g- well, good. Then I'm, I'm glad I could do my part for mammograms. Thank you. So, tell, me, <laughs> tell me more about, tell me more about what's going on in May. Cause that, that sounds like a big deal. Yeah.
2: So May 7th, we're going to be at last concert cafe. Uh, I think ticket sales are probably going to go up mid April, but it's really great because we have, You know, I don't know if people know that the types and statures of the chefs that help out. We used to do our father's day event there, but so we have like big name chefs that are coming out, big name bar stars. And so what'll happen is you pay for a ticket, you come in, you get to see, I think we're booking like five bands. So it's like all day music festival in that large, like beautiful backyard that's also covered. So we won't get rained out, which is great. We're gonna have amazing cocktails. Uh, So the way we'll do is we'll have five kind of shifts of bartenders We'll all be making these cocktails and serving those. So drinks are included, uh, snacks, you know, they, you can get like the picnic baskets that's included from the chefs. And then we'll have elevated experiences. We're really exciting. We're going to have an elevated experience from Teeling Whiskey, Hal Brock will walk people through all, like all their SKUs. So there's options to have elevated experiences. There's also going to be a giant raffle where it's local artists, dinners, bars, restaurants. Uh, we'll have a grab bag thing. It's going to be crazy. Crazy. I'm so excited about it. There's about 10 of us working on organizing this event. It's it's spearheaded by Elaine Dillard, who, if you know her, she does Butcher's Ball. Uh, she does all the art car stuff. So she knows how to throw a party.
0: Yeah. And and I this, so this is the event, the, the equivalent event that I went to at the Continental Club last year. Yes.
2: We're just, yeah. So we had it at the bigger Continental and better. Club last year, but we needed more space. We needed a bigger stage. And so we're really lucky. I don't know if you've seen the renovations at last concert. But it's slowly because I love the Continental Club. I'm probably at Big Top twice a week catching live music there. But I recently saw a show at the Last Concert Cafe and the sound was amazing. Uh, The area is just so different. It's different from those uh, Wednesday kind of hula hoop days. It's now like a really large music venue and it's a pretty special place. So we're really lucky that they're donating the space to us.
0: All right. That seems like a good place to wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to talk about that's going on with All Have What She's Having?
2: Um, We are doing, there's a couple things that we're doing. We have started a weekly state of reproductive rights, kind of like mini vlog, if anybody wants to tune into those, if they don't follow us on Instagram. And it's really just walking people through the changing laws and what's happening. Uh, So the first one we did, we talked about some house bills that are coming out of committee. Today, we talked about uh, three lawsuits in the state of Texas and what that means in the future of reproductive rights. And so we're really working on this educational component as well where we're not just saying hey we're things are terrible here's some free service we're really trying to educate and give free services and we want people to know that you should have access to these things and please reach out to us. We want you to use our services and it's not just for women and it's not just for front of the house. It's also back of the house. It's the person that works at Denny's. It's the person that bartends at a strip club, food and beverage. We want to help and take care of you. And it doesn't matter where you're at in that world.
0: Right. Uh, Executive chefs to pizza delivery drivers. We got, yeah. yeah. Oh
2: man. I'd love to like hear a pizza delivery driver. Yeah. You're like, all right, I got a vasectomy or I got a mammogram.
0: Um, all right, well, give us the website one more time.
2: I'll have what she's having.org, or you could just type in ihwsh.org, find us there. It's really easy to sign up. All of our events are on that website. Also, follow us on Instagram, we're pretty active on there, and you can see if other people are supporting us. Like, tonight, we have an event, uh, that you know it's. Nobody will be there, but we're gonna be uh, taping knives to Roombas and murdering balloons.
0: <laughs> Fantastic! And then uh, Roomba
2: wars, and all the money is gonna to go to uh, I'll have what she's having.
0: And then uh, you know, not to detract from your charitable purposes, but anything you want to plug a two-headed dog that's coming up that you want people to know
2: about. Oh, man. Uh, To a dog, we're about to have a menu change in April, which we're really excited about. We've been working really hard on. We are doing these monthly Doomba wars. So they are Roomba knife fights in a pit uh, and all the money goes to women's charities. We are also still keeping up with our monthly vibrator races. So if you want to come on down, don't bring a vibe. It is a vibe. Uh, come race the track, raise some money for some women's charities. Uh, we're, you know, we're still being wild and crazy over here, like always. <laughs> I,
0: I wonder if that word is going to get edited out on the radio version of this. Uh, Do you I think the, the the device name? I I wonder if that's going to make the radio edit of this podcast. I'll I'll be very curious to listen to that too. I
1: hope
2: that. so.
0: <laughs> All right, Lindsay Lindy Burleson, thank you so much.
2: <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Have a good day.
0: You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.